I'm here this morning. We've been in a conversation called Emo Church, which means Emotionally Healthy Church. It's taken from this book right here, The Emotionally Healthy Church. And we've said each week that we're not doing this conversation because we think we're super special or we think we're super emotionally mature. Uh, Come be like us. Uh, That's not the reason why we're doing this. The reason why we're doing this is we're understanding that spiritual maturity and emotional maturity really do go hand in hand. You can't just get busy for God or have 10 quiet times, read your Bible 10 times a day and and appear as though you're growing spiritually, but yet deep inside you're just really angry at everybody Uh, or you deal with lust like crazy. Um, There's... um, some beauty uh, around emotional health and spiritual health kind of working hand in hand. And that's because God seeks to restore and redeem all parts of us, not just our spirit and our spiritual well-being. So that's why today we're going to look at the topic, Breaking the Power of the Past. And uh, this is about the time that we all rush out of the room, <laughs> um, meaning it's a, it's a challenging topic. It's, it's hard to think about our past and I'm inviting you to, to take this journey with me because we're going to look at our past and we're going to look at God's grace. If you just think about your past, it could be incredibly overwhelming. Uh, the, maybe the family that you came from, maybe you noticed uh, addictions that were there, maybe there was abuse that was there, maybe uh, you were a part of giving some of that pain to others in your family. If you're just to end right there, that's a sad reality. So we want to move all of that into God's grace, like like seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. We all have a past. We all have a past. And um, so that's what we're up to today. We're going to look at those two things, our past and God's grace, which encourages us even though uh, we all have a past. So uh, let me pray for us and then we'll start our our Bible reading and get going. God, we do. We, We ask you to Bring healing, bring restoration, bring hope, bring good news into our past. And we thank you that you do that. We thank you that you care for us in that way. Father, we pray all of this in the name of uh, King Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, no one left the room. That's great. All right, so we're going to start with this Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 20. And as I read this, you'll hear this phrase called generational sin. Uh Uh-oh. And what that means is, yes, there have been sins and sin patterns that have been passed down through the generations. And you think, ah, I knew it was my dad's fault. (laughs) Or I knew it was my granddad's fault. Uh, Well, I'll leave that to you to figure that one out. But The scriptures are clearly uh, teaching that um, there is original sin, but yes, there's generational sin. Uh, That's what you'll hear in this passage. Let's read it. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children 
the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now, the next passage we're going to read is in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And in this one, it brings tremendous, tremendous hope about the new family that you've been invited to be a part of. That you, through Christ, you've been adopted, and now you're a part of a new family. And that's the game changer. And it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Okay. Uh, No one's left the room yet still. Okay, great. Um, So the word genogram, you'll see that on the, the little bulletin that we've passed out here. The genogram is uh, anyone familiar with the word genogram or have you ever mapped out a genogram? Uh, You can Google this word genogram, Um, but essentially a genogram, it helps you map out uh, family relationships. This is not a family tree. Family tree is almost kind of boring, right? It says names and dates and there's the little tree, but it doesn't really tell you the relationships that were going on between some of those people or some of the dynamics, maybe addictions, that were going on in some of those family trees. And so one of the things we want to do as we go through this is to map out your own genogram. Uh, It's it's a very courageous act to do that, to map out your genogram, but I want you um, to listen to a story. I want us to start with a story. And the story's about King David. And we're going to kind of outline King David's genogram meaning some of the relationships, some of the addictions that were deeply embedded into the roots of that family and how for generations that got passed on and deeply affected. It says here in verse 5, because of the sins of the parents, the entire family is affected, including future generations. Okay, so David's genogram, this is 1 and 2 Samuel. If you've been in your Bible reading plan, you're probably... I have been reading about some of these things that are coming up in David's family. But what you've seen is that the the, the throne has been taken from Saul. God is looking for a a person after his own heart. Not a perfect person, but a person after his own heart. And chooses chooses David. But there were three things that an Israelite king was not supposed to do. And in my studying this week, I kind of looked at this. The very first thing was that that Israelite king... uh, don't accumulate wealth for yourself. You'll be accumulating wealth, but don't accumulate it for yourself. Number two, don't rely on anything except the Lord your God. Not your chariots, not your horses, not your armies. Don't rely on anything other than the Lord your God. Number three, don't have more than one wife. Okay, David was two for three. David was two for three in this. Uh, You'll remember that um, David collected several wives And even on top of the wives, or in addition to the wives, he had several concubines that he had collected or gathered. Uh, Many commentators, past and present, say that David had a sexual addiction that was going on. Even conservative um, Christian commentaries will tell you that they're thinking that David had a sexual addiction. When David was around 40 to 50 years old, he was on his rooftop deck of his palace, And he notices beauty, 
And in noticing that beauty, he has one of his servants bring that person of beauty, a woman named Bathsheba, who was bathing, had his servants bring her to himself for his own pleasure. Viewed her like an object, must have her and had her, slept with her. And then he begins to cover the entire thing up. Um, the, 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 the husband, yes, it was adultery. She's married to uh, Uriah. And David is basically guilty of murder because he has him killed uh, in, in battle. So he's living in sexual addiction. He's, he's living with adultery. He's living there as a murderer. And I want you to see how sin is passed down through the generations. Uh, Amnon, Absalom, Solomon, we see the same thing going on through those three generations. There's adultery, there's sexual addiction, um, there's sexual sin that's going on. Amnon, this is David's firstborn son, yet there's incest. If you read that story, he, ha- he has incest with his sister. And um, then, then there's Absalom, Tamar's brother, ends up going after Amnon for having incest and kills him. Um, and then there's Solomon, becomes the heir uh, and, and outdoes David. Remember of Solomon, it says that he has 700 wives. Are you kidding me? 300 concubines? Um, that, 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 that was never God's design. Um, and yet he was called the wisest man of earth. Why, why is this? Not, not because he had all of those wives and concubines. So within three generations, uh, Rehoboam uh, then becomes king, living in sexual sin and brokenness, and eventually this kingdom ends in civil war. The kingdom is divided. And the rest of scripture is talking about how to get reunification uh, back to that kingdom, which eventually Jesus will bring and, and did successfully. Do, do you see how the, the generational sins were there? And um, I, I just want to say to you that generational sin is a real thing. And it's easy, maybe, for us to academically work through a geneogram in the Bible. But now it's your turn. Not this morning. Maybe not right now. But this is an encouragement for you and for me to dig into the roots. Get your hands dirty by looking at your past. Figuring out what some of those dynamics are figuring out where the pain comes from, figuring out where and maybe why certain vows that you've made to yourself came from somewhere else. Does that make sense? Um, And I just ask myself this this question this week is, why don't we want to think about our past? Why is that? And I'll just know for myself is um, we, we like to block it out. We say, yeah, but that was then. That was then, it's over, and and it's not having any effect on me. Thank you very much. Um, And and the other thing is is we just, we we run from it. We run from those people that have hurt us. We run from people that have disappointed us. We run from someone that's abused us. Um, And the irony sometimes for those of us who run the farthest away from those things that have hurt us, never find the freedom that we're looking for. Tremendous irony. I don't know if any of you have read the book or maybe you saw the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. I think the movie was okay, but the, the book was stellar. In, in high school, we, uh, we read this book. Uh, it was a French novel uh, written in 1844. Edmond Dantes, if you don't know the story, Edmond Dantes, he's a sailor. Um, 
of a merchant ship. He's a great captain. He's coming into port in Marseille. His family's waiting for him. His wife is there. Everything is going great for this guy, Dantes. And then in one day's time, everyone who seemed to be on his team, everyone who seemed to be helping him, turns against him, and he's thrown into prison. And there he sits for for the next 13 years. And while he's in prison for those 13 years, he says things to God like, God, you will get me through this. God, you are my provider. God, you will give me justice. Then that hope begins to turn to resentment. And that resentment begins to turn to anger. And the anger turns to vows that he makes to himself. And the vows are, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to have revenge on those who put me here. Miraculously, he escapes, he comes into wealth, and uh, vengeance drives him for the rest of the book. My point in bringing up that story is, there are things that drive you. There are things that drive me. And a lot of those things that drive me and you are vows that we've made to ourselves a long time ago based on our family of origin. And there's beautiful things within our family of origin. There's also broken things in our family of origin. Things that we saw, things that uh, happened to us. Uh, so as you, as you map out this genogram, you'll find vows, you'll find promises that were made, um, And there are things like, I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like her. Or I'll never be like my dad. I'll never do the things that they did. Or I'll never raise my family the way that they did it. Right? Any of us that are parents, of course, we had at least an ounce of that regarding our parents. I'll do it better. The thing to watch out for is your kids are saying the same thing. I'm going to do it better. But vows are being taken, perhaps, And you'll find generational sin as you get into this genogram. What I'm encouraging you to find is God's grace as you look into this genogram. Don't just do the genogram and feel depressed or feel like, oh God, I knew I had all these problems. I knew my family was just a total wreck. But as you you go beneath the surface and you look back at your family of origin and you do that genogram and all those patterns start showing up Find God's grace. Find good news and hope that God gives you right in the middle of all that. And what that means for us as we look at God's grace is is to see yourself the way that God sees you. See, the whole point about coming into God's family is that you have a new bloodline. You're part of a new family. You have a new genogram. You have a new genogram. For some of us, when we go through this process of doing the genogram, it is incredibly painful. You will see a lot of brokenness in those relationships and in those people. And you have a temptation to start feeling overwhelmed or, why is this happening? Why did God allow that to happen? See yourself the way that God sees you. Loved. God's allowed certain things to take place in your family. And God still looks at you with love and compassion, and mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone, the new is here. I remember the first time I read this verse. And the first time that someone explained this verse to me, that God sees me as justified. And that word justified was a hyperlink. And it needs to be clicked on. And when you click on the word justified, it means God sees me just as if I'd never sinned before. It was amazing. And I thought, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. I thought being a Christian, or I thought, I thought having this relationship with God was where, you know, God says something like, hey, come to church. We'll start giving you some things to do. We'll get you busy. And when you really get serious, we'll help you get more busy. And that'll kind of earn you a place at God's table. This, justified, is saying something totally different. God adopts you into his family. You become God's daughter. You become God's son. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of God's sheer grace and mercy to choose you, elect you, pull you into this family, and adopt you. And so God sees you, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in this Christ, as though you'd never sinned before. And you've got to argue with that a little bit. You've got to go, there's no way. There's no way, because I know my record. I know my family of origin. Just follow me around today, perhaps. And you'll know that I'm a sinner. But God sees me as though I had never sinned before. Because Christ has lived a perfect life for me, on my behalf. All of that is by grace. I I want you to try uh, this experience, or this exercise this week. Just try this. Any time a negative thought about something in your past comes up, I want you to place the words God's grace right beside it. Think about one of those stamps. You know those stamps, and sometimes you see those stamps that say rejected or valid, or I want you to see this stamp that says God's grace. God's grace. Anytime there's a negative thought or a painful thought about your past that comes up for you, stamp it with God's grace. It's written all over it. Everything about your past. Past sins, generational sin, everything that's been passed down to you, God's grace. God's grace. Um, Say a prayer of thanksgiving in that moment when it comes up. This is making your faith active. Our faith is not just intellectual, but our faith is active in that moment, saying a prayer, something like, Lord, thank you for your grace. I pray and give you thanks that you would keep bringing healing, healing and restoration into my past. My past might be full of all sorts of addictions, sexual addiction, substance addiction. But God, I thank you for your grace and I pray for ongoing healing and freedom. And thank you for your perfect love, dear God, that you love me like no one else. No one offers me that. The second part of that exercise I invite you to is to repetitively meditate on God's word. Repetitively. 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 Scientists, doctors are like now all of a sudden saying, hey, repetitive meditation and repetitive thinking and meditating on 
God's promises in the Bible really does reshape the brain, really does reshape the way a person views themselves and their past. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what God promises about his word. He made that promise like a long time ago before scientists and doctors are now finding that out. But nonetheless, it's true. God's word is powerful to help reshape what you think about yourself and how you see yourself. In the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, uh, told us thousands of years ago the same promise. Don't let this book of the law and book of promises, meaning the Bible, uh, depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And you know how the verse ends? It says, then you will be prosperous and then you will be successful. That's prosperity. That's success. That's security. Knowing your identity in God. Not letting your family of origin and your genogram shape everything that you think about yourself. But finding God's grace in the midst of looking at your genogram. The third thing I want to invite you to do in this exercise this week is to accept it. Accept God's grace. Admit that you need healing. Now, I'm not looking at all of you thinking, well, you guys are a piece of work. You really need some healing. I just know that as a fellow human being, we need healing. We were just singing that we're a beautiful mess. We need healing. Do you remember uh, in John chapter 5 when uh, the crippled man, he's been crippled for 38 years, this story, and, and Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? I mean, what kind of question is that, right? It's a great question, but Jesus invites this man to be healed. And I'm just simply asking the question as you and I work through this, do you want to be healed? Do you want, do you feel that need to be healed from some of those things in our past and in our family of origin and in that genogram that you look through? That's the invitation. That's the invitation, is to be healed. And to receive the hand and hands of Jesus, who's going to walk with you as you go through this. And this is a process. This isn't a weekend thing that you're just going to go and get freed from. This is a, a life of turning your past over to God and having God heal you and reheal you and restore you. And in that way, we forget about the past because we're leaving it with God. We're letting God shape us in that way. Um, So the invitation is, is, and we'll close with this, the invitation is to let go and quit carrying it around. How many of us are so exhausted, so exhausted because of things we're still carrying around with us that's way, way, way long gone in the past? Something that happened to us, something that was said to us that was shameful, something we've told ourselves. My encouragement, my invitation is let it go. Quit carrying it. God's not asking you to carry it. God's wanting you to trade it in. Leave it with him and let him restore it. Let him redeem it. Whatever that is. Whatever's there. So uh, I'm going to have a little quiet space. We're going to create a little quiet space right now. And I'm, I'm going to read a few verses, a few promises from, from Scripture, from God's Word. And 
Just maybe close your eyes and just receive these promises from God. And listen and have God say to you what what God will say. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am your God and I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Father God, we ask through prayer and conversation with you right now, we ask you why these things may have happened to us in our past, but, but you don't tell us. Instead, you tell us that you're our Father, our Rescuer, our Shepherd, our Refuge, our Warrior, who will fight to defend your people. So God, we pray that you will take us by the hand. Let us not be afraid to trust you. We pray for healing. We pray for redemption in those painful places of our past. And we pray all this in the powerful and gracious name of King Jesus. Amen.